give us an opportunity to make you develop our own opinion, you know? I mean, how dare we? How dare we develop <laughs> our own opinions? Hi everyone, it's Ria, the host of Femme on Film, where a guest and I talk about films made by women, starring women, for women. These are films that have often been overlooked or unfairly derided, or where female filmmakers haven't been given the same chances as their male counterparts. And sometimes it's just a chance to talk about films that we love that happen to be made by women. If you like fun, insightful and patriarchy smashing chats about film, come and have a listen. Femon Film is part of the Comics and Motion Network and can be found on all your podcast apps. So come and join us. Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Subscribe to Era of Geek to hear their stories. He's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Search for Era of Geek on your favorite podcatcher go to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. Episode of Indie Comics Spotlight, where we've already started laughing before the show even started. So it's going to be a banger. I'm here. Tony, hello. This is your host. We're going to do a deep dive into an ongoing series or graphic novel other, from a company other than the big two. And so the plan is today, we're going to talk about the first, I think we're just going to talk in generalities because we're going to try to be spoiler free as possible while also, because we're our plan is to only talk about the first six chapters, as they're called. They're not called issues of a 54 volume, 54 chapter arc, but has just come back to start its second 54 issue run. And the plan is it'll end at 108. So back the, back in time, March 14th of all days, my youngest daughter's 12th birthday, the world was given, Rachel turned 12, but Saga was given to us. And it's such a big story that I can't talk about this by myself. And so my one of my monthly co-hosts, and who just did her first solo indie comic spotlight, yeah. Ria is here. Ria, friend, hello. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. I'm excited. You are excited. And so now, back from her epic guest spot as uh, the co-host with me when we interviewed the great Kat Valente, this was her idea. And again, instead of just letting her come on and talk about it by herself, every time Ada comes on, I'm like, you should talk to somebody else. So Ada, welcome, my friend. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. I love everybody you've introduced me to. Can't can't go wrong. 
See, and you're great. Everybody likes you. So this is all good. So we are here. So eight, so we're going to, before we get in to Saga, now keep in mind, just so everybody knows, this is going to be a rush job. We are recording this on the 18th and it's going to come out in just a few days because we would be remiss if we don't talk about Shakespeare sometime today, which we will. Mm-hmm. And Shakespeare's birthday is this week, the weekend after this comes out. He was born on the 23rd of April. So it just, it all is a confluence of events. So this should come out on like the 21st of April. Shakespeare's birthday is coming up. We will definitely talk some Shakespeare uh, as the day goes. So we'll start with you, Ada, because this was your pick. So tell us your saga story. How did you find saga? I will admit I did not pick it up on Rachel's birthday. Wouldn't that have been cool if like on Rachel's 12th birthday, I was like, I'm buying you this cool comic. I didn't do that because I suck. But how did you find it? Um, It was sometime in 2011, probably, but it wasn't. I don't think I was like up on the, I didn't realize that it was so new when it came out. I came to Saga as I came to most of the graphic novels and comics that I know, which is through my partner, Tony. Um, He gave it to me for my birthday because he thought I would dig it. And I did Um, immensely. I, he knows Tony, my most read series. I keep it. Um, I keep it in the bedroom next to my bed. I like, it's, it's a beloved um, book. There's just so much about it. Like the the fact that it just, um, up until I read Saga, I don't even think I really totally understood the phrase in medias res. And then I read Saga and I was like, oh my God, I get it. This is it. This is, it's perfect in so many ways. Um, Art, story, the way that the chapters begin and end is mind blowing. yeah. That's, I love that's that. my saga story. That's awesome that Tony knew. So he was that when you guys were was he were you living together at the time or was he in no. Minnesota and you were in Michigan? He was like, you should get um, this. He was in Arizona oh, okay. in 2011. And I was still, I think I was still teaching in Kalamazoo at that time. And um so the school year wraps up end of May in, in Michigan and my birthday's in the middle of June. So I get done with the school year and I fly, I'd fly to wherever Tony was for the three months, summer, uh, whatever. So I flew to Arizona and he had it waiting. Nice. Um, in so, my little, so June little of 20, so you got this in your hands, June of 2012. So it was, it was new. It did. That's amazing. What a great um, story. I don't know. He, he may have been up on the release of it. He follows image comics pretty closely. So he, he could have been very up on it, but it was just a, it was a birthday surprise. He's awesome. What a present. Good on him. Wow. That's great. All right. I should have not, we should have gone first Rhea, because our stories are going to suck. I am not going to beat that <laughs> at all. First of all, Kalamazoo is one of the best words I've ever heard. Isn't it? I've never heard of that word before. I don't know what oh, it means, but I love it's it. It's a city in Michigan, and Ooh, Johnny Cash it? sings about it in a song. It's like Narnia. You got to go. You do have to go. My cousin lives there. My cousin lives in Kalamazoo. It's like up with, I love the word haberdashery. It's up there with there for me. There are haberdashers in Kalamazoo. Oh, my God. At I'm least losing my mind. <laughs> are, they called the, uh, are they called the Kalamazoo haberdasheries? Because hello. Hello. <laughs> if they're not, it's a missed opportunity. It sure. is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean I I can't beat the story we were actually just talking about it earlier at dinner um basically um my other half who at the time 
it was it he was a lot more on comics than I was, which was a bit of a switcheroo. It was usually the other way around. Um, but you know how it works in relationships. Sometimes somebody's like, I know all about all these new films and all these new books, and the other one's like, What? Um, and that's basically what happened. And he read volume one uh, of Saga of the collected edition and went, You need to read this, and basically handed it to me. And I sat and read it, and I was just like, What the fuck? That was so good. <laughs> So your story is way better than mine. Way better. Mine's mine yeah. is my 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 partner's not involved at all because this isn't something she would read. She doesn't really like space operas, and there's a lot of violence in this. And so, like, it's a, even though it's literally cartoony violence, it's not. It's pretty. It's bloody. We'll say. It's a little. But, there's some blood, some body. There's some. Ooh. There's some bodily fluids that are seen. Lots. All the fluids. Actually, you see them all. Um, uh, so for me, it was just a matter of I didn't. I didn't get it at the time. Um, and I, I know it was a collected edition and I actually am 99% sure. I actually heard, um, uh, somebody talking about it, uh, probably Glenn Weldon on NPR, uh, talking mm-hmm. about his, so he, he was on the, um, pop culture happy hour, but he, he was just a writer, um, for like writer at large editor at large for NPR's website. And he would just pop in on morning edition, which is as Aiden and I were talking before we started recording, she's not a morning person, but I am like, I wake up at seven and I'm like, it's morning. And my wife is like, we don't talk until nine. That's just how yeah. it is. I'm the same in my relationship. Yeah. yeah. I'm just up and ready to go. So, but so it was, I was just heard him talking about like the comic, you're the best comic you're not reading. And then it won all the Eisners as it should. And so then it, so that was how I came to it was, was through that. Nobody was, so we should have gone. We should have definitely had A to go last. Yeah. yeah. What's the best story? It's the best it? story. That's awesome. So, well, that's, so the story of Saga, for those of you who don't know, and, and again, it started in 2012 and it ended in 2018 on a huge fucking cliffhanger. And then in January of this year, so just four months ago, it started back up. Now I've not read the new four, but they are all free of freely available on Hoopla Digital, the official <laughs> unofficial official, unofficial sponsor of Indie Comics Spotlight, where we read most of our books on Hoopla Digital. If you don't own them, you should all get on Hoopla Digital. The library is awesome. But the new books are all there. So uh, 55, 56, 57 are all there if you would like them. Um, And that's where we are. And I guess 55 was a double issue because they had a lot of shit to deal with uh, at the end of that cliffhanger. So ran from 2012 to 2018, and now it's back in 2022, and it's going to run until 2028, and then it'll end. And Brian K. Vaughn ends shit. That's when he does. So if he says it's going to end at 108, it will end. Um, this coming from the man who sobbed weeping on an airplane uh, when he read issue 30 of Paper Girls. Uh, I was alone on an airplane reading Paper Girls, and I felt bad for the people in the row with me because they're like, what's wrong with that guy? Um, I don't know if you guys have read Paper Girls. Not yet. It's on my list. Mm. I have it. Somewhere back here, but no, I'm not, uh, I'm not picked up because I'm so behind on everything. And it's and they're making a, 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 I think Prime is turning it into a series. So yes, they are. Yeah, I, I, I will probably be a mess that whole time. <laughs> I love Paper Girls, so I'm a big Brian K. Vaughn fan. Um, Fiona Staples is the artist and colorist, and um, phonographics is the is the um, nom de plurum of the. Um, letterer who is a star in his own right in this book. So we'll talk about all the technical stuff. We talked a little bit off air about um, Fiona Staples artwork and we'll talk about phonographics art. But so the story of Saga is um, there's, there's a planet 
called Landfall, where winged creatures live. And there's a moon around it called Wreath, where horned creatures live. And they are at war just because they are. And as war happens, as war always is, it expands and expands in the other galaxies and the other planets and everything around it gets sucked in and they have to pick sides. Bad shit happens. And, and it's hard to explain. Just know that there's two characters, Alana and Marco, and um, they have a daughter called um, Hazel. And that's the story. And again, but Alana is a wing and Marco is a horn. Correct. Mm-hmm. There, and that is that is important. That is important. So they are each of them. They are they are not supposed to make and science air quote in these worlds says that these two these two bipedal creatures who have all the human anatomy parts somehow couldn't breed. So they've been just told it can't happen. And there's like a myth about it happened once and the baby died. And you're like, well. It's very much happening. Right. <laughs> so, so that's I mean, it's the, right there at the start. Right there at the start. So let's let's begin. So we're going to try. We're not going to spoil a lot. We're just going to kind of talk like this show is. We just talk. This is a book about big ideas. And I've got I a have a question before yes. we get too deep on the yeah. starting. I've got a question. You said, is there a significance to the number 108? Why it's going to end on chapter 108? Do I don't know? I don't know. OK, I just know that's what they said. Um, and maybe it's because they did 54 and they're like, well, that's the halfway point. Maybe that's because because there's a couple of issue ones, a double issue and then issue 55 mm-hmm. is a double issue. And I'm assuming that he, did, he did they, like paper girls ended at 30. It's just like no numerological. I don't I don't th- I don't think so. It's probably just like this is the, this is what we're doing. And Im- what is image going to say? You're going to get us 54 more of these. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um so that's so I don't have I don't have an answer. So we're not going to spoil too much, but we are going to talk through things. So we are focusing pretty much on these first six issues, but it's OK because we've all three read the full 54 issues. And so we may allude to some things, but when you're done, it's kind of like what I did when I covered fables on here with Kelly and Matt. We talked around it. And so we'll encourage you all if you've not read if you've not read Saga, you're okay to listen to this show. We're not going to give too much away because we are going to just try to focus on some of the characters, but more of the thematic ideas that that this book is about. And we'll have our big thoughts like we do. And that if you've not read Saga, the fuck? Question mark. Do yourself a favor and read it. <laughs> do not pass go. And you can get Hoopla Digital if you don't want to buy it. You can get, they have them in the three collected volumes. So eight, three chunks of of 18 and it's beautiful and it's and it's damn near perfect so um the opening scene is ada it is jones to talk about this please tell us what the opening words of saga are am i shitting (laughs) um that's literally it uh we open how many comic books open with a woman giving birth like literally umbilical cord attached man ripping it apart with his teeth like looking up like catching his daughter it's it's beautiful it's primal and it's a comic book that begins with birth in the birth in it she's like she's just on the cusp of pushing the baby out as we as we see the opening page and it's just beautiful yeah i i love it i mean it's i can imagine there was there were some squeamish boys who saw the cover and were like, that book looks fucking awesome. And then they opened it and were like, oof, 
Um, but let's both defer, Ada. I agree with you, but let's defer to the woman who has who has gone through this. <laughs> actually got a child. Yeah. I mean, I have children, but I didn't birth them. So it's a totally different experience. So please, Rhea, is it beautiful <laughs> or are we like the masses? Uh, hideous. And I did give birth vaginally as well. So I mean, all of it's bad, let's be honest. There's no one that wins over the other. Um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the whole gosh, I don't even know where to start with this book. <sighs> so I enjoyed the whole opening of her giving birth. I completely agree with Ada. I think it's comp- it's really unusual. I think often when we see female characters and if they're opening a book, if that ever happens, it's always, you know, them doing something cool or doing something sexy or, you know, half-dressed or something like that. And this just completely foregoes this. And, and for those who have had children what you will know is your midwife will tell you that you shitting is a really good thing because it means the baby is pushing on your bowels pushing poo out so your your baby's about to come out yeah so most women if they give birth vaginally shit have a shit I didn't I'm a weirdo um I don't know how that happened because I was obsessed I was going to (laughs) not because I was worried about it I was just like they told me I'm gonna shit so I'm just gonna shit cool like whatever science who cares um so so absolutely great that not only is it, 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 you know, not only does it look great and it sounds great and you like, you immediately go, what is this? But it's also factual, you know, as in, and it does feel like that. You have a lot of pressure on your, on the lower of your body and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's coming out of me. This is all hideous. Uh, some women love it. I'm not, I'm not going to shame you. It's hideous. Um, and then there's the bit when she goes, actually feels good so like we get a few panels in and he's like oh, he's, he's looked up and he's like wow that's just my my what my wife's vagina just giving birth to a baby sure With good horns. on you marco for looking at that because i did not want my other half anywhere near that unfortunately <laughs> i ended up fully naked in a giant birthing tub being like get it out of me so he did get to see quite a lot of things that I was hoping wouldn't happen I picked out like a little bikini I was like oh my god it looks so cute <laughs> what an idiot oh what an idiot yeah that went out the window when I was kneeling against the bed and blood gushing out of me going put a fan on my face because you get really hot anyway I digress oh um, I love it this I is what I was talking this about. <laughs> I had no idea how factual it was like right and so the other bit is when she talks about so she goes it it feels good is that weird and it sort of does so once you get the head out oh my god the ring of fire which is possibly the worst thing I've ever felt in my entire life when the rest of the baby starts to come out your adrenaline kicks in or your endorphins kick in or your hormones kick in and sort of if it's going successfully the baby just sort of comes out in a couple of pushes so you get this huge like rush you get this huge relief and I would necessarily say it's pleasurable and and I feel like you can feel that confusion in her she's I think she's using a word but it's not quite the word that she's using you you know everything sort of happens and then the baby's just sort of there and you're like oh shit there's a baby there and so I also felt like that's completely accurate so when I first read this I hadn't had a baby um and then reading it again this time so I first read this a long time ago so it's going to be really fun talking about it because I can remember the major plot points going on in the future but I can't remember a lot of the details so you two will probably be talking about stuff I'm going what um so it's really fascinating reading it again and uh and having the birthing scene at the beginning and then when Marco goes off and 
to the umbilical cord and he's like oh it's really tough and gristly I'm like yes it is Mark I mean obviously I didn't bite my child's umbilical cord off we used science um but it's but I love that I love that in just the first I think it's like three pages of this book it's you know because it's this huge epic saga funnily enough you know space opera and it's so in those first three pages it's so small like it's so intimate and so small and based in reality and I think that's really unusual that's where all my talking got no I love it and so powerful so powerful and I think along those same lines there's something that really every time I read it strikes me about the fact that it's narrated from the point of view of the child um, who begins by saying like I started as an idea or everyone starts an idea which is not something that like I would think about a baby or like having a person but it I mean has to start somewhere Um, I think that's that just adds to it Mm. Well, that's actually one of on my list of questions. So I'm going to go there. I've got things. I've got questions. I've got hot takes. And these questions. Here we go. Hot here we takes. go. Well, th- let's talk about the narrative style. So Ada is a poet. I write fiction. You write fiction too, as well, though, right, Ada? So, mm, very little. Very I only little. started writing fiction in that workshop we took together. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Me. Okay. Because excellent. That's excellent. But so we're, you, we write. We all love art, right, Rhea? You write things. Your brother's a mm-hmm. writer. We all, like, so we understand story. These are, we, you know, we're not going to get down here talking about it and, like, what are comic books? What is sequential art? I can't, I don't understand. Um, what do you make to that this is a unique thing that the that the narrator is telling us a story of her childhood from some time in the future. So we know that she lives, number one, and we also, she keeps dropping hints. So what do you make to that narrative style? Can you compare it to anything? Do you like it? Do you find it off-putting? I, you know, I've, I'm just curious because it's like, it's so unique to, to be done that way. I mean, we always know there's, you know, like in noir, like I did doing Sin City, you know, and Dwight's talking over the top. So, you know, Dwight lives. But it's not like, but he's in the story as an adult man thinking as an adult man, as opposed to an adult woman. I mean, the only thing, my comparison, I'll keep my comparison. Sorry, I'll go last. You guys go. What do you make to that? Do you like that kind of storytelling or do you find it off-putting? Rhea, you go. I love it. Oh, Ada. Okay, go. Sorry. Ada. Um, I, was, I, don't, I don't know what I would compare it to. I hadn't really... I hadn't, I'm sure there are things. I'm sure it's comparable to a lot. I can't think of a single one. To me, it stands alone as like just the epitome of dropping hints subtly along the way that keep me coming along without kind of giving away the whole kit and caboodle. And the the way that the way that the narrator kind of retains innocence, but also but also kind of belies that that she's seen a lot with sort of the way that things get dropped in and um, kind of like wry comments and just the sense of humor of it, I think is, I think is a probably very hard to do. Um, And B it, I don't know. It just, it seems like the most natural thing in the world to me, kind of an extension of that, that beginning birthing, that birthing moment. Like, yeah, we might be in a space opera, it might be like war and bloodshed and all of this, but 
we're just having tea and learning about your childhood. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Ray? Absolutely. I completely agree. To me, the narrator, I, I think starting the narration when given birth and the narrator is the is the child who has been born is just genius. And and looking back on it, you know, she's she's telling us her story, right? And I I feel almost like she is a writer or a poet and she's I'm trying to I'm trying to think of my words and not use spoilers. So she's it's okay. Say what you say. It's okay. well, so she's talking about coming in how she like so she's unique, right? As far as we know, she's unique. She's we've talked about this. Two different, I guess I don't want to use the word species, races, thank you. Um getting together, having a baby who's not supposed to exist. She's grown up. She's telling the story back. She's almost, um, you know, in, in if we were sat around a fire in medieval times, telling that old wives' tale story to me, that's what it is. She's, she's weaving that tale to people. She's got an audience. It reminds me sometimes of... Um, <laughs> So almost, almost Star Warsy, you know how it's the stories about the Jedi uh, who who are mythical. Forget all the other films that come and ruin all that storytelling, but especially when you read some of like the other books and stuff like that, it's always these mythical stories about the Jedi and how they helped people, or you know, some people they were bad and things like that. So it really reminds me of of that sort of old style of storytelling. That's how we impart knowledge and lessons and and why things maybe weren't great to other people the another thing it really reminds me of is a computer game called what remains of edith finch which i don't know if either of you played but it's it's just a wonderful story it's about edith um uh, it's about a woman who goes back to her old house that she grew up in and her family it like ran away from it one night because the family's cursed and the way of storytelling in the in the in the game I'm not doing it any sort of justice is she's writing in a diary about the experiences of the different family members she's getting bits of their stories and bringing it all together and god this is a spoiler for the game and at the end you find out she's writing it for her spoiler 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 turn it off for the next five seconds she's uh writing it for her unborn child and she oh. doesn't survive so she she's dead and it's her unborn child that's reading these stories back about their family and they you presume she's dead from the family curse and so it really reminds me of that as well and you know that's again that power of storytelling of passing that on hazel oh, she's not named at the very beginning but is at the end of this first book you know she's she's using storytelling to impart some knowledge and that's what it feels like what remains of Edith Finch is, is does as well. Nice. I love that. Well, I don't play video games, but that sounds awesome. I'm, I'm in on that story. The thing, so I'll, I'll get my way back machine and just tell a quick story about, um, about creative writing. It's funny because I keep bringing this te- this teacher up um, it, it just because she pisses me off, I guess. But uh, I brought it up when Jack and I were just talking about, um, about fringe I go on this whole rant. So this Wednesday, so two days before this comes out, the day before this came out, if you listen to the Fringe episode, you'll hear me talk about my creative writing teacher at Albion. Um, But she told us, don't write, like creative writing. She said, don't write about children because they're boring. (laughs) Wow. Somebody had a sad childhood. She (laughs) was miserable. She was a miserable, awful, hateful woman. And you'll hear more about that when you listen to Fringe season one. But 
funny thing is, is she looked just like Mad-Eye Moody and that character hadn't existed yet. Like, so I couldn't have that comparison. But in hindsight, she wore a cloak. She had the eye. It's all true. That's what she looked like. But anyway, she... She wore a cloak. She did wear a cloak. I really want a cloak. And now I'm rethinking it after you said that. (laughs) She's awful. She, um, anyway, regardless of her. Once you got a creative writing teacher in a cloak. Oh, I mean, (laughs) it is pretty cool, right? Who doesn't want that? And then she turns out to be, you know, a witch. So she's, but she, um, she used to say that. And I, my argument was, this was my point back to her. And this is what it reminds me of. And I was like, but the greatest book of the last hundred years is about a child. She's like, but it's an adult telling the story. Like she's telling her own story. So to me, it's to kill a mockingbird, right? Scout is an adult in that the the narrator scout Hmm. is an adult. You're Ada disagrees. Well, I mean, yes. But also like narrator Hazel is an adult. Exactly. No, no, we're reading child voice. Exactly. Narrator, narrator scout is an adult but she's writing in the voice of her inner child exactly which is what i that's why this reminds me of that but that's what i was trying to say to her and she's and right so we didn't get along as you can tell that's that teacher i because I, I was like i can list like 20 books that are about children and she's like yeah but they're all boring and i was like but to kill back <sighs> not boring she's she was a monster anyway the point is so to me that's i feel like hazel is the descendant of scout fitch like she's she is this, I mean, as the story goes on and Hazel goes on her adventures and misadventures and everything that happens to her as we see her as a child, because um, the first 54 run from like birth to age seven. So, you know, in Scouts, six. So she she just is, she's smarter than everybody. She talks like an adult, but she has that inner child. And so to me, that's the first thing I think of is that. And I think it's, I don't know if it's intentional. I can't get away from it. But to me, that's the best, the best comparison. So if somebody's like, because what Ada just said is true, it's the adult Scout Finch writing through the inner child voice. And what Vaughn captures here is somebody who's both wise behind her years. And so it's like super clever to overlay clearly adult Hazel, like you guys were just alluding to. She's sitting around the campfire. It's tea time. She's telling her life story, but she's also managing to capture that exuberance of childhood and life. And most importantly, the love she has for her family, uh, not just her parents, but family, because family is a big deal in this series. Chosen family. Yes. And the love she has for them, it like jumps off the page. And I think this would be a good, good place for us to talk about phonographics, what he does to exemplify that. Cause it's not just Vaughn's words, right? It's actually the way that phonographics puts Hazel's words on the page. If, so if you, for those of you who haven't read it, which you should, we've all agreed, you should read this. It's, it'll be Fiona Staples, beautiful painted artwork. And then in the dead space, like there'll be, and it's not, you can look behind it. There's a beautiful landscape there. And it must've been, he must've felt crappy. Like I got to put words over the top of this. This is your script people. But what will happen is Hazel will talk in like a scrawl. Like it's not normal typed. It's like written over the top of it. Like she's looking writing. Yeah. And she's almost like, this is her family album. And she's like writing notes on it. I love that. And, and so that is like, and she's holding up. Oh, nice. That's it is holding up an excellent image of that. Um, what do you think? I mean, that is, what do you, like, how do you feel about the way that that's done? Because it is, it's atypical from the way it's regularly done, again, and does 
does is it because of phonographics skill as a letterer that captures his like if you were just reading this as a book do you think you'd feel the same precociousness of hazel or is it the actual skill of the letter ada's shaking her head i think it's the just divine chemistry between these three artists honestly i mean i think i think there's something to the fact that, that certainly the way that her interludes are kind of lettered and like almost sort of scrawling on the family photograph or on the painting in neat, but clearly kid print handwriting. Um, but also I really appreciated what you were saying, Rhea, about the, the point of view sort of imparting wisdom. There's almost like an orality to it or like a, a dimension that comes off of just reading words on a page, something about the way that text is the combination of the text itself, what it's, what the words are saying, um, the way that it's lettered onto the paintings and then the way that it plays with the art. It's, it becomes something other than words on a page for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything to add. I thought you said that beautifully uh, just because I'm going to say something. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 in terms of the words on the page, I, that's my favorite thing about it. I don't feel it's just slapped there to be words on the page, which often lots of comic books have to do to fit them in. And I, and I think that's fine. I, you know, I don't mean that as a criticism. I think it's thoughtfully put there. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you you said these are three artists working together, and that's really clear that, I mean, this is co-owned by Brian and Fiona, their co-owners, but phonographics is there, is, he's there, and I know he's just doing their words, but again, he Fiona's giving him these these pages, and the, the panels are not... This isn't Tom King, right? It's not nine panels. It's not that. It's it's whatever. It's whatever fits the page. And they in the extended editions, they show the scripts, and it's very... Brian really is just giving a lot of space to Fiona to work. So, um, you know, sometimes the opening page, right? It is just one page. And then the, the last page of every book is also just one page, not a splash, but a one page, one page panel. And so, but that gives phonographic so much room to move. And sometimes it'll be like, there's only three panels on this page. And so it'll be like a whole third of a page is just one. And so he has so much room because these are each panel it's fucking gorgeous. In each panel, yeah. and we'll, we're going to talk about Fiona's art towards the end just because we're going to wax poetic, and I want to focus on some of the bigger themes, too, because she is the star. Did you know, as of ep- issue 25, they flip, and she has been top billing ever since? That is so rarely done that the artist gets top billing, but Brian felt... As, as you know, once you got like, it's her, but like she designed all these characters. So, so he yeah. gives her that. So everybody just put a pin in that when we start coming back to think, I don't know if I can think of another comic and maybe someone will add us and be like, it's this one, dumbass, where the artist comes first. And my wife who doesn't read a ton of comics, but she's always like, why is the writer's name first? And she's like, no offense to you. I know you're a writer, but isn't the artist doing all the work? And I was like, this is how it's, how it's done. She's like, well, it shouldn't be. So when I told her, I could not agree more with Leah on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So when I, <laughs> when I told her, she's like, "Oh, that's cool. I'm glad. I'm glad for for that woman that she gets to be top billing because she should be. All the artists should always be top billing. That's how she feels <laughs> as someone who only reads a handful of comics in her life. She's like, I don't get why the writers first. So spot on. We'll put a pin in that. <laughs> but anyway, so we all agree. So it's this beautiful thing. Phonographics. You are a star, sir. 
we salute <laughs> you. Um, I just talked about um, Cowboy Ninja Viking with Paul, and we went on and on about Clayton Coles and how the letterer there was the star of that book. And it's important, as if we're going to do a comic show, like you have to acknowledge these are artists. Letter artists are artists. Letterers, that's a tough mm-hmm. job. You're living in someone else's world and you have to be out of your way. And so the best letterers are go unnoticed is what we always have said. But in this book, we see, oh, he's totally noticed. The way that different characters, the bubbles, like mm-hmm. with the mermen, their bubbles are different. Isabel's lettering's always red. It's so good. It's such a great shorthand storytelling device, right? Oh, I love it. I love this book, by the way. I'm just, this is just going to be, the rest of it is just going to be us going, <laughs> I love it more. No, I love it more. No, we're not. no it's, it's actually like, I sort of don't want to talk about it intelligently. I just want to be like, isn't it great? Just for like the it next 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> but it is great. But that's, but that's okay. <laughs> no. I mean, but we're, we won't do that, but we want to. Just everybody know <laughs> that it's hard it's like when you hate something, all you can do is say, that fucking sucks because you're so mad you can't think of the adjectives. When you love something, it's the same thing. You're like, oh, if I give you all the adjectives I want to give you, you think I'm full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. What is? <laughs> We're not full of shit. This is really one of the best. In fact, like Alana, <laughs> I let it all out earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. It's one it's of just the best books it I've is. Ever read. It is. Well, you brought up the Rhea, let's go to the um chosen family because I've I've mentioned some of the other people. So mm-hmm. some of the other characters we will meet along the way include a seal and a walrus and some bounty hunters and a rescued slave girl. A rescued sex worker. Oh, that's tough. And um there will be uh robots. There will be um grandparents. Uh, Marco's parents make magician. What's that? Magicians. Yes. I mean, there's so many amazing, amazing characters in here. Um, And again, so let's, let's talk. So this is the, and and they fall in and out of the family. Right. So, um, and then later uh, when Petri shows up um, way later, way, way later, um, she becomes a very integral part of the family. Um, uh, and Aunt Lexi. I mean, there's just like these amazing, these amazing people who just love, and it's not just that they love Hazel, it's that they they understand who they are. And so you talked about found family, Rhea. So so that mm-hmm. is obviously a huge theme here. And because this book six ends where she's like, those are my grandparents, the end. And so like end of part one, and you're like, oh shit. They after, don't look- after grandma like comes in and blows <laughs> shit up. She's a badass. <laughs> she's so cool. I Thanks, love grandma. her. What a great character. What a great fucking character. She's amazing throughout the whole series. I mean, she's great. But yes, so grandma comes in, blows shit up. And then Hazel's like, those are my grandparents. And that's the end of part. So, but but they're part of the found family. And, you know, like they're, they're, they have horns. They don't have wings. They're Moonies. They're uh, the oppressed. In this world, the Moonies, the reefs, the horns, there are the oppressed people. They are the people who are treated the worst in this um, world. And yet they have to overcome this to love their granddaughter and to accept a lot and all that. So found family a- is so there. I mean, talk about that, Rhea, like what? Because you even sang it, so why is that so important to you? And if you want to make up a whole song about it, by all, by all means. <laughs> I'm not going to sing. I keep on being told I sing on every podcast that I do, and I don't mean to, and I can't sing. Um, found family. Yeah, maybe um, <laughs> you too love, like I, maybe you secretly love Tom Bombadil too. 
bumba 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 do. Anyway, oh, I have drunk a drink. Oh, I have drunk a gin. So let's let's just move on. Um, I I love stories about found family, chosen family, because I think it's so important in my life. Um, and I think for people in in general, I think our the narrative of all the people in this world is blood is thicker than water. You know, I think we always see that. If somebody poses a problem with their family, be like, oh, you should, you should choose your family and all, sort of, and all that sort of rubbish. And I genuinely think that's rubbish. Um, I think there are connections that you make in your life with people who are much stronger than your family. And therefore, I am naturally drawn to stories about that. And you get sort of the, I mean, we, you said we'll talk about it later, but like the Shakespeare Shakespeare stuff and the warring families and what you don't get resolved in Romeo and Juliet for example it because it's at the very end it's them coming together to sort all the shit out whereas that happens at the beginning of this book and that therefore to me that makes it a bit more interesting not dissing Shakespeare good mm-hmm. lad um but uh, <laughs> it's called Shakespeare a good lad <sighs> um it's just something you should go to the globe like three times a year good lad shakes good um, job Billy Billy shakes yeah. he's my guy <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I do. I do think storytelling often focuses on the getting to that stage because you know that's the that's the violence, that's the epic romance, that's all the things that people think they're interested in. And then the story stops, and this does does the opposite. It does the what I mean. We in later on in the books we do get to see how they get together, and it's really adorable. But you know, it's not about that. It's about the going forward, and that's why it's, it immediately draws me in anyway. Yeah, I agree. No, I totally agree. I think, I mean, you know, that is totally true about the Shakespeare side of this is it's like, it's always like, well, Romeo and Juliet, we always, you know, we know how that ends. And this is like, well, what if it doesn't? I mean, why does every star class romance have to end in death? It doesn't have to. And Vaughn and Staples are like, watch this, watch what we do. We're going to just take it. We're going to take that. We're going to throw in some other mythology, which I've got some thoughts on later too. And then we're going to be like, what if? And so I love it. I love that idea because you're right. That's what Romeo and Juliet are, right? They are like, and you see like in Romeo and Juliet, her love for Tybalt is, is real. That's real. She loves him like a brother. And so when he dies, like she has to, and you know, at the hand of her husband, she's distraught. And that's like such a, what do you do? And how do you handle that? And like the nurse is like her mother to her more than her mother mm-hmm. is. Her mother wants her to marry Paris. And like when Mercutio dies, like that's way worse for Hamlet than anything, so, or Hamlet, for Romeo than anything. So you see that is a story about found family, but we're just focusing on the kids. We're forgetting like this cast of characters who are all willing to die for these two kids, right? Mm. And that's what we see here as this family comes around, Alana and Marco, we see this, this found family who are willing to stick it all out there for them. And I, I love that. Because there's different types of love, which lots of our storytelling doesn't focus on. Like lots of our storytelling focuses on romantic love. And it's the other love that is more interesting and often more powerful. You know, talking about Buffy, the love between Buffy and Willow, to me, that is the core relationship in Buffy. That's the love relationship that I want to talk about and want to experience. It's not Buffy and Angel and Spike and Riley and all of that sort of stuff. It's, It's that it's the other love that isn't romantic love that is interesting. Like Marco and Alana's romantic love is lovely. They are hilarious and they feel very real, but it's, this isn't their story. This is Hazel's story. And it's about the people who love her. Agree. Miss McCartney thoughts. She's, she's thinking, she took her glasses off everybody. She's doing her (laughs) deep thoughts. 
I love this. I, I feel like you're going to come out with something I know, it's calm and amazing. insightful. I hope you like bite the end of your, you go full go yeah. on us when you drop whatever you got. I'm excited. Here we go. We're setting you up. You got it. You got to live up to it now. <laughs> it better be good. Oh, I fell asleep in my glasses. So now they're freaking like, <laughs> oh. on my face and I can't, I can't cope. That's why they came off. Oh, okay. Um, Rhea, what were you, what you're saying about, about all of the different types of love? First of all, I've never heard anybody else say that about Buffy and Willow. And I could not agree more. That for me is everything about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and why I continue to watch it time and again. Mm -hmm. Um, Buffy and Willow. Forever. Um, (laughs) I'm going to make you a t-shirt. Agreed. Yes. It's true though. Yeah. (laughs) Note to myself. Um, All the different kinds of love. I... I loved, I just, I love that. But I particularly have been thinking about death and love in this series and how like one of, particularly the grandfather, Hazel's grandfather enchants me and his, his run is a little too, too brief in my opinion, but I think it's really important because it sets up, there's this initial moment where he's like, the horns being the oppressed people and the wings being not where he says he and Alana are kind of left on their own with this newborn while Marco and grandma go off to fight something that I'm not going to say, which is awesome. Um, they didn't know they were going to fight that until they got there. And they were like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. They have to go save um, Isabel. They had right? to go save yeah. the babysitter, but, yeah. but grandpa's left there. And of course, oops, Alana's doing all of this in a towel and he's, he's, um, an armorer he can his magic is weaving things making clothing but the first thing he really says to Alana is is she normal about the granddaughter so they get off on this really like this foot where it could be like hate forever it could be like well of course she's what do you mean she's perfect so Alana like trusses him up in some vines and is like you know this is my house Um, And of course he's like, oh, that's cute. I'm going to do a spell. I'm going to get out of it. And now I'm going to make you a new outfit. But I think that to me just epitomizes the sort of complexity of love and death in the series. Um, And I don't, I don't know how adult Hazel maybe would have heard all of these stories or if this is just her imagining of it. Not that we need to get super granular or real. No, that's one of the questions I have. So go there. Is, is um, Hazel a reliable narrator? That's, we don't know. Um, I hope so because the just everything about grandpa showing up, having this moment of like, is my granddaughter normal? But then quickly moving past that and being like, oh yeah, I crossed the line. That wasn't cool. Let me make you all some new outfits that happen to protect you from all of the things except direct stab wounds. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Well, it's amazing. and but the thing is, and this is where it all goes down to like, storytelling and the lies we tell and the real fake news, not the way that it's used now. But like, as I mentioned, there's a, there's a myth out there that this happened before and that the baby didn't live, that the baby was deformed. And so they're doing, they're saying that because these two races had a baby and it was deformed, that was the cause of it, but correlation and causation, right? Those, as we know. So 
That could be and that true. baby had been born in a concentration camp. Exactly. Shocking that it didn't survive. <laughs> exactly. They're not taking any of that into consideration. It's just this one time it happened. So therefore it must always. So that's what I think he's asking. But of course, a lot of here is something different. And it's because he's thinking, well, we know this one story that may or may not be true. Is she normal? Meaning, is she formed? Not like, does she have horns and wings? Which, spoiler, she does. But um you know, I, I think that's what he means. But again, it's all about the way words work. And like you said, they get over it quickly and he has to correct himself. And he, like what Rhea was saying, he reacts to Alana with love instead of violence because he could beat her. I mean, she is in a towel and that's the line. She's like, I'm so glad I'm doing this in a towel. Like she meets her father <laughs> the first time after she comes out of a shower talking about how she would fuck the shower if she could. Like, and then her father was there. there. So <laughs> yeah. brilliant. Like the f- jokes land. The writing is so goddamn funny. Um, so it's like he's he's she's embarrassed. She's on her back foot. All of this. He could totally take her down. But he reacts with love to her. And that is so amazing. I just think mm-hmm. it's it's the it's what we'd all want to do. Right. For our for our people's people. We want to show the kind of grace that he shows. And that's we- possible. Iteration of that gracious love. Yeah, he's awesome, and you can you can see it very much. And this is not me saying anything new. You know, from a racism LGBT plus Q LGBTQ plus, um, you know, narrative as well, which I think is is really lovely. And I think, gosh, this is talking about sort of like the overall themes of the of this book, but you know, it is about acceptance and love and you know we all have probably heard a story of somebody who was like you know I I came out to my grandparents and I was really scared and my granddad was just like oh I just love you anyway it doesn't matter you know it very much feels like that and it's you know and I know it's talking about a baby and and all of these things but some things aren't about what's on the page they're about things and 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 that's what it feels like it is about acceptance and he just he just wholly loves Hazel and Alana he he, like there's nothing the first person he makes armor for is Alana the first person not his own son not his granddaughter Alana he's like you need this and he does the whole oh they're all just a bit tatty and couldn't be saved but he understands like she is an important figure to his son, to his granddaughter and therefore to him. So he is accepting her and like, that's it. No question. Like if, if what happens to him doesn't happen, if anybody challenged on it, he'd be like, nah, fuck off. She's, she's my daughter-in-law. I love her. Get lost. And that's so lovely. It is. It is. I, I, this I, so much. I, I know it's, I'm actually feeling a little bit teary at the things I'm saying. No, you it's should. So ridiculous. It's not ridiculous though, because that's what good art does. I mean, uh, Lee and I were talking two days ago. I think one of the best books again about a child. So fuck you, Dr. Collar, but, um, <laughs> Collar, Dr. Collar, <laughs> that was her name. Yeah. Um, one of the best books to me of the last 20 years, probably the greatest, probably if you had to put gun to my head, my favorite book is The Book Thief. And it's a, yes. uh, have, you, have you read The Book Thief, Rhea? Yes. Love it. Yeah. It makes, I get, chi- I get, I mean, anytime I just start talking about it, I get choked up because there's never, like to me, it's the, the love between Liesl and Rudy is mm. like, yeah, not only is, of course, it's unrequited, but it's also, 
horrifically heartbreaking and lovely, and they love them both so much. And I get really upset because the first time you read the book, Thief, it tells you how it's going to end. But you don't pay attention. You don't know who these characters are because they're unnamed. So when you catch up to it at the end, and this is, I, I read the last 50 pages of The Book Thief in one go, sobbing uncontrollably alone in my apartment. Totally true. When Lee read have The Book Thief, she put it down every five pages. Yeah, have a break, Tony. Yeah, I couldn't do it. You just do I, There's no I, break when it gets that intense. When I finally <laughs> calm down and you get to the end, and I'm like, okay, I'm calm, I'm calm. And then death says, the book thief died today. And of course, you know that's coming. Death is telling the fucking story. All, and she was old. She's an old lady. She had a happy life. So art can move us. And I was just a mess again. Like, I was a mess. I probably slept like two hours that, that day that I read the book thief. And it was like, but so it's okay. The point of that, Rhea, I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm saying, be, be, let the emotion get there. Because they are telling a gorgeous story. They're playing with time and space. They're playing with genre, but at the end of the day, they're telling a family saga. That's why it's called fucking saga, mm. right? So it's okay to be moved. And I hope everybody <laughs> who reads this book is moved. Everybody who hears Rhea choking up, you, it, it's true. It's beautiful. It is, it's what we all want for our own, for ourselves. It's very selfish, but it's also what we want for our people too, whether you have kids or don't have kids, whether you have a niece or an uncle or a whatever, whatever, whoever it is, you that's just my- want, right. Just, we want to love you for you. And that's all what we want, right? We all just want to be loved for who we are. I can't, I can't, this is not really talking about it, but I can't, no. can't imagine like if my, if somebody I loved, friend, family, whatever, came out to me was a bit different or did this thing or I mean obviously a lot of like murder and terrible things but I mean something that is like the core of their human being I cannot imagine in any way that I would reject them I can't like because I love I love these people for who they are exactly who they are it doesn't none of that matters and so I love that you see that in a book that it is just like yep yeah, I love you done no there's, and there's no questioning of it and there's no with with his character there's no let's go off on some tangents and question it it's like literally over the over a couple of panels it's like yep got it love you you go to sleep making you some armor baby's cool done and if you haven't experienced that sort of love in your life this what better book to experience it with and learn it from than saga i mean like all of the death all of the war the world that we live in is getting crazier and crazier, but, but it's that, it's that chosen family, even the blood family in this book is chosen to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. And I think she, she frames that really well at the beginning when she's like, I began as an idea. You, you can let an idea go. You can reject an idea. You can burn it. You can wad it up or you can, you know, shit it out. Um, literally <laughs> I shit out a lot of ideas I can't get over the fact that that's real <laughs> um, you also need to wee a lot when you have a baby so that's another thing there's a joke Just later about happening. how she can't she pees a little when she's on a trampoline yeah you find that I out mean, later yeah a lot of does <sighs> having a baby is brutal <laughs> no I agree with you Ada I think and and to me it's it's what they, uh, he could do. They could have done a lot of things and this book would still be good and still be. But what I love about it is how subversive it is. Like, I love when things are things like and Jack and I always say it's just text. Right. 
this is not a book that is text. This is, but the text of the book is fucking awesome. But the text of the book will turn a lot of people off. Like I said, imagine every fanboy who was like, oh, cool, Brian Vaughn, blah, blah, blah. You know, he did some, you know, he did some major hitter stuff and they pick it up and they're like, oh, there's a brown lady shitting on page one. What What's happening? And then you find out as it goes on, and they just they right they do blow your mind, Ada. But they're subversive about the stuff, like the sub, the subtext of this book. Like you could read it. I mean, again, we're going to talk for an hour and some, and then we could just re rack. I say this every week, but we could re rack and just do a whole different thing. We're not going to get to everything that I want to talk about, and that's okay because you should all go read this and then keep talking about it and keep having conversations because that's what that's what good art does. But one of the cool things that I think he does to also subvert people is in the world, we like binary choices, right? So he gives us a binary couple. Like he gives us, she's all wing, he's all ram. You know, that's what they are. But he also lives in a fantasy world and she lives in a science fiction world. And I know that subtext too, but as people who read that stuff, what do you take? I mean, that is that is just right there for you to see. This world is, you said it right from the top, Ada. So I'll go to you first. Like his parents are magicians. She comes, but then earlier you're like, and, and Rhea said, no, no, we didn't bite the umbilical cord. We use science to cut the umbilical cord. So, but this book confronts these two things. It confronts these two writing styles, but also these two ideas of science versus religion, science fiction versus fantasy. So what do you make of how they merge that together and the commentary that Staples and Vaughn are having on like binary choices in our writing and in our lives and whatever? Well, Thinking about binary choices, I can't help but um, come to this moment when they're trying to name Hazel and Marco, he is, he's a man, but he is obviously naturally the, he's obviously the more sort of mothering of the two in the partnership. And he's the one that wants to name her Hope and, you know, just like, let's bring a baby into a world because what better way to end the war and make peace between our two races than, you know, loving and reproducing together. Um, and she's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you live in reality? Um, which can be read as a more masculine perspective, I think. Um, and so I, I find that switch really, really beautiful and um, and also very close to home. And and there's there are just so many so many ways that Fiona Staples and Brins and um and and Vaughn and I'd say even even the lettering subverts those binaries, um, and it it makes me think too of the whole the whole like I don't want to I don't want to give a bunch of spoilers but the whole thing that brings these two star-crossed lovers of different worlds together is a book that is like packaged as I think a character calls it like one of those trashy romance novels that housewives get off grocery store shelves that's the but exact it's line not, that's but it. it's not <laughs> and I mean it is it's like and we get and I I I love that we get pages of the novel that brings them together. I think that that's one of my favorite conceits of the book is conceit the word I want. I don't know. I'm going to use it anyway. Um, That we get to actually read pages of the book that, that brought them that, that brought these two lovers together. And, and on its face, it is a romance novel. Like these pages are like, you know, rock monster and hot lady, you know, having iced tea together by the pool. (laughs) 
making jokes. Um, someone else, there's no plot to it, but, but it is so subversive in the way that it's these two different people from different worlds coming together and falling in love. <laughs> and that, that's just, that's the core of it. The like secret beating heart of this whole saga for me, a book, the idea, the book that brings them together, the, the words on the, some guy I put on a page. That's awesome. I love that. Maria. Yeah. I mean, what, what to add? Just love that. <sighs> You're great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, I completely agree with you with the, the, the flipping of some of the gender roles I love. And it's down to Fiona Staples, how she envisions things. You know, Alana immediately takes on, on the feeding role of feeding Hazel. As soon as she's born, she's at the breast and feeding her. And then a bit later on when they're, when they're walking through Cleve, we've got um, uh, Marco's hot, is, is carrying her, doing baby carrying. And that is, men doing baby carrying is still like a, a weird thing about parenting. Like my other half used to baby carry all the time and people would be so weird about it. Like apparently, because he did skin to skin as well. Like it was bizarre. Yeah, like it's really bizarre. It's a really unusual thing to see in terms of like, you can go out and you can buy a million coats for baby carrying if you're a woman, like coats so you can zip it up over whilst carrying the baby. So if it rains and stuff, they're dry. There are two coats, and I know this because I did months and months of research (laughs) looking for it for my husband for men. And they cost a fortune. They cost like £200, two coats available in the UK to buy. It's probably a bit different now, three years on. And and it's t- totally crazy, right? I've totally gone off off track again. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, and and so and I love that she is making a you know everything. Of course, everything on the page is there for a reason. She's making a conscious decision to do this and to flip that. So it's it is perfect the perfect marrying of Brian K. Vaughan saying this is the story I want to tell. I'm going to be very prescriptive in what I'm writing and what I'm putting down because I want to flip those things. I want to talk about these things, like with the book, for example. I love that the book is boring. I love that the book is exactly what you said, like the trashy housewife book, and like you know, it, as is in the book itself. But it's not about that, and you know, and flipping that film on film is all about how not all about it, but part of it is about how people say films for women are trashy, all of that sort of thing. It brings together, you know, Marco who is clearly incredibly intelligent incredibly powerful incre- you know all of these other things and he chooses to set that aside because he does not believe in what is happening Alana who's a soldier and doesn't believe in what is really happening that she's just sort of following orders gets this book her mind is blown I know we're talking details and it's not re- what no, we're go. Really do. doing um and that and I and that's I said I've got nothing to say because it's so lovely. I just want to talk to you about this all day long. <laughs> I'm so excited. And that and that book brings them together. And I love that it's sharing, you know. And again, this is actually in volume two, isn't it? I've, I've gone right off the deep end oh, now. Go, um, and then like, and you know, and they're sharing it back and forth and talking about it. and then another character reads the book and it's like, oh, so this book is actually about that. And he's addicted to reading it. You could see he can't put it down. I love it. I just love the but he's thing. talking trash about it the whole time. Yeah, but he can't stop himself. And people do that all the time. People talk shit about, about Hunger Games all the time. Look how much money that made in both the books and the cinema. Top, stop talking shit about it. You went to see it. Shut mm-hmm. up. You can enjoy things that aren't supposedly intellectual all the time. 
gone on another rant. No. You made that unhappen, I, I love that you said that because I think, and I think too, this medium really highlights highlights the opposite of that, but it's so popular, so trendy, so such a thing to like be heady and intellectual. And, and to the point I, one of my like thing notes that I wrote to myself on the mirror last week was like, get out of your fucking head. Um, (laughs) And I think it can be such a cop out to want to intellectualize and find reasons to hate things that aren't intellectual and smart. Um, Which is some bullshit because this is a fucking smart book. Well, that's the thing. If you talk about that book, all the things that you both just said are true. Here's the thing. This is also, so it's Romeo and Juliet. So we talked about Shakespeare. Happy birthday, Billy Shakes. Listen, the other thing we have to talk about is this is also the Odyssey. Yes. And there's a fucking Cyclops in it. Yeah. And the Cyclops is the one who can see the future. And what did he do? He wrote a book that would bring these two together. So the question is, and I know that's a little spoilery, but the question is, did he do that on purpose? Did he know his book would bring the two of them together? Is that the commentary? You can see the future. I caught, right? <laughs> I mean, am I? is that one of those, Farina, he's stretching, what the fuck are you talking about things? I mean, there's a reason the writer's a Cyclops, but it's not addressed at all. And again, so to say, oh, comic books are unintellectual, well, fuck off. These guys you read the to, Odyssey. But you have to be initiated in order to understand that A, he's a Cyclops, B, that a Cyclops means anything, or C, the Odyssey, that, that there's a Cyclops in the Odyssey who yeah. can see the future or that that or that like that it's all connected. Like you really have to be initiated to under to, to get it. And even if you're not um, the first time I read this, I had never read the Odyssey. I didn't read the Odyssey until about three years ago when I was working with a student who was reading it in 10th grade English class. And I was like, wow, I've never read this book. This translation really sucks. Let's, you know, find, find some graphic novels yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until then that I like rereading saga. I was like, like Oh wait, Oh wait, there's so much more to this book than I realized the first time I read it. But even having not been initiated those first times that I read it, it was still great. Yeah, it is still great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Ada. That's exactly it. This book is so accessible. It's so hard. So I used to read comic books and graphic novels all the time and then like life got in the way and I stopped reading them and it's so hard to get back into it and know what to pick up what you're going to enjoy if we're talking about the big two what's happening in what runs so where do you come in if you're talking about independence like you're spending a lot of money on it what are you going to pick up is it going to be good is it suddenly going to end after two issues and saga is the opposite of that I think it's so accessible it doesn't look down on anybody it's just telling a story and wants everybody to come along with it I would suggest Saga to somebody who has never read a comic book or graphic novel before because it's not inaccessible but also if you have read other things or you like other things or you you know you politically feel a way about something you can bring that into your reading of it that's why it's so damn good it is. It's. To- mm. I love how you just dropped I a darn. That sound bite. <laughs> I know. I, we'll cut that. I, I love how you went to darn after all the fucks and everything. I love that you said that's why it's so dark. I, that may be my favorite thing you've said all day. I, don't, I mean, not, you know what I mean? That's not true, but I love that. That's why it's so it's dark. Very sweary. Look, sorry. And I just tried to stop it. Yeah. I love it. it. But it is so darn good. That's the thing. It is. It's so special. And it is true. Like I said, to me, I see, but again, I'm with you, Ada. And it's funny, I reread The Odyssey because at Naropa, I had to read Laird Hunt's version of it. Did you read Laird's 
version no, of it. No, but I w- it's on my list. I'd like to read that one. Yeah, it's about a woman who, um, during the Civil War, she takes her husband's place and she joins the war. Like, because, you, you know, from the North, you had to send somebody from your family. Her husband gets conscripted and he can't go. So she goes in his stead. And it's just the Odyssey, but flipped. So with a, with a woman as Odysseus, it's very good. The audio version, Mary Stuart Masterson reads it. So I would say get oh. that if you can. It's on Hoopla oh. Digital. More the unofficial sponsor of Indie Comics Island. Anyway, um, so Laird Hunt wrote a verse. So when I read that, I was like, man, I should read. And I liked it because I was like, I remember thinking, fuck the Odyssey the first time I read it because it's a pain in the ass. Right. And again, it all does come down to your interpretation, but it's such a great story. And I would recommend anybody the best version of the Odyssey besides this is uh, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, yes. Where John Goodman plays the Cyclops. Right. He's the one eyed Klansman. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, <laughs> fuck, man. I love that. But it's because the story. And it's one of the best movie soundtracks of all them. Without a doubt. Oh, Without a doubt. Yes, soundtrack. yes, yes. And I, so- I knew I had to um, break up with somebody when they, I was like, you have to listen to the soundtrack. And they were like, why are we listening to this? It's rubbish. And I just thought, I- we can't be together anymore. <laughs> Out you go. That's okay. I broke up. <laughs> Genuinely, when... that happens. I'm not. No, even no. I broke it up. up. I get it because I broke up with somebody once because she didn't know the difference between seen and saw. She kept oh, saying, "I seen that." Must have been from Michigan. She was from Michigan. She was from Ypsilanti, Ipsitucky. She kept saying, "I seen that," and I was like, "Listen, man, that is not. I can't do it." So... I'm not open to the feedback or open to the learning either. <laughs> Out we go. So it's all true. What's your what's since we're sharing? Ada. So somebody who didn't like the Oh Brother, We're Out There soundtrack, somebody whose grammar was bad. What's yours? What's your favorite? I broke up with that person because story. Um, so it's nothing to do with saga, but we're leaving this in. I'm really, maybe I'm really boring. I had a couple of like girlfriends in high school, um, but I've really, I've been with Tony since I was 19. Oh, okay. So you don't, um, I don't think I have ever broken up. I was, I think I maybe had three, like, like little girlfriend cute. Oh, I broke up with someone when she went on study abroad, like right, right. When I met Tony, but it wasn't because she went on. It wasn't because it just she worked was, out. He was just, just made yourself seem like a better him person. He's so much better than us. Like her story is better. Everything is better about her. She's no, also no, no, no. Also, like I'm sorry. I'm just kind to other people. Wait, no. no. Let, let's just. Here's the thing. Watch, Rhea. I'm going to make you feel worse about yourself and me. Here's the other thing. She's a poet. She's an actor. She traveled. She went to college on an acting scholarship. She's and she's a special ed teacher. Oh, not anymore sorry. because well, I can't stand mornings and I got burned out and, and commercial were. acting is too hard for me because I, I like my free time, <laughs> but we're just like, what are we doing with ourselves? And yeah, she's younger than us. Too. I know. Uh, <laughs> and we like you very much. Ada. That's we're, we're just jealous of you're awesome. Anyway, back to saga. Okay. So, but I, the point is the reason I brought up the Odyssey and I'm so glad you said that is it is, it's layered. And so it drives me crazy. So I'm teaching a class right now and Seth Singleton will be on the show sometime this summer to talk about it. I don't have my copy mm-hmm. right here. Um, we're, we're doing a comic called a graphic novel called decelerate blue that I'm using for one of my courses. And one of my students sent me an email that said the book came in the mail and it's a comic book. Did I get the right book? <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, that's it. And, and she said, I've never read one of these before. And so 
like you could hear you could hear the tone in her email. And then like a couple of days later, she's like, I don't know how to read this. This is really hard. So it was like, oh, huh. How, what's hard about it? What do you look at? Like, what she did you say? Well, I just said, I told her how I read comics, that I do words first, then pictures, but some people do pictures first and words. You have to, you can't try to take them in all at once. It's a lot like watching a movie with the subtitles on. You have to, you you have to train your brain, but she'd never done it before. So she got there and then in discussion, she went on and on about how wrong she was and how she was like, I can't believe this college class has a comic. She's like, oh, fuck, this book blew my doors (laughs) off. So it's. That's the beautiful thing about Saga is that it is multi-layered. You can think about the Odyssey. You can think about Shakespeare. But if you don't know that, it doesn't matter. It's still everything we've said it is. It's this beautiful family saga. It's this story that's about a girl who may or may not be a reliable narrator who just loves her family. You can see how much she loves her parents. She gives Mm -hmm. them such a pass. Like (laughs) Hazel is not going to end up on Jerry Springer, right? She is not even afraid to talk about her parents having sex. I know. Well, let's release the dongs, shall we, Rhea? (laughs) Who always wants the dongs to be released. Let's talk. Let's get there. Got to talk about that. And that'll be the nice transition into Fiona's art. There is an awful lot of nudity in Saga. There's a lot of nudity for everyone. It's lovely. It's very equal. Yeah. What do you make of that? Is that... Is that another one of those things that's, like you said, it is very equal, but is it, it's going to turn a lot of fanboys off? I mean, it's not gratuitous, is it? It's not. Well, because I am. I mean, King I'm, Robot is jerking off a lot. Yeah, but thing is, I want to talk about all the other volumes. Yeah, I know. The two of you going forward. So I'm yeah. trying to not go too sure. forward in time because otherwise we'll get to volume two and we've talked about it all. But. Uh, I think it has its place. I do find nudity in media, graphic novels, film, TV, etc., somewhat annoying. I often think it doesn't need to be there. But I think in Saga, you know, there's a, it shows a whole mixture of nudity. So it shows Alana getting her breast out to feed her child, which is not sexual. It shows... Alana and Marco having sex, which is sexual. That's how the baby came to be. Plus they're two sexual beings. They're allowed to have sex, but neither one of them is shot in a particular, is drawn in a particular way in which you go, ugh, why are we seeing that? Um, Prince Robot, when he is having sex, I actually think it's incredibly effective in this book because we see his post-traumatic stress and we see that he is, you know, he is experiencing something that I'm sure lots of people experience when they have PTSD, which is trying to have a normal life, a normal sex life, everything normal. And he just cannot. So he's just trying to get there, which isn't the pun I was going to go yeah, for. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it all, it all works. You know, it's, I, I think when, when, when Prince, Prince Robot's having, I'm doing a thing with my hands, which is showing his the princess and how her body is laid out. Yeah, yeah. Helpful. You know, I do think it is quite salacious, but but she's trying to get him. Yeah, excited. but it doesn't yeah. feel wrong. It doesn't feel like I don't feel dirty in the, in the non good way. Looking at it, I don't go like, oh god, it's just more tits and ass. 
just like, yeah, okay, cool. It, it feels like it has a narrative purpose. The only time it doesn't, funny enough, is in volume two when we see a giant dong and it's there for humour. I love it. I think it's hilarious. Because he's it with his mum. there for humour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's it's with his mum. It's purely yeah. there for humour. And I'm like, brilliant, great joke, ace, done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. But, you know, when, when we go to the sex planet, the 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 women as such that greet um, the will are quite grotesque you know they're not very sexy but they're drawn sexy and so that's really interesting that those opposites that they're supposed to be really sexy and they're drawn really sexy but they are not that to to me personally other people might be horrifying very yeah horrifying very grotesque and it's it's and that's what it that's what I mean it's interesting it's not gratuitous for the reader you know it might be in scenes which is fine because sometimes we all have sex and a bit like hey I'm gonna strike a sexy pose because cool fun times and so it works for me yeah no and i think i mean i think the the, the sex planet is really smart um yeah well i will ada what are your thoughts because you know what do you it, how do you think they handle it agree disagree do you want to reach through time zones from arizona to england and just slap that look right off his <laughs> face what are your no thoughts? i um <laughs> i I feel like I'm, ca- I'm, ca- I'm like just catching up to the conversation. I had to do, I had to like back up and do a wait. Do I do words or pictures first? And it took me a while. Oh. <laughs> I still don't know. Yeah, I think I go okay. back. Um, but, but sextillion, I, I love the way that that planet is depicted. It's the ultimate red light district. It's like every taboo is available here for a price. And I think the, the greeters on sextillion are so so incredibly well done they're they're women as you say ria but they don't have breasts they're like gigantic faces on top of these fishnet clad extremely long legs with these huge mouths that like i mean you could fit a whole person in there it's like Right. What is that even? I don't even know I what think that that's is. That's probably for. what they do. <laughs> I think you're right that is what they do. Yes. Um, but I, I, I think the way that bodies and nudity and sex and fluids are depicted in saga is one of the best that I have ever seen movies, fiction, television across the board because of the incredible breadth of what we see. We see breastfeeding, we see lovers having sex we see the the i love that you mentioned prince robot's ptsd and then the like complexity of that relationship and um it's just across the gamut and then and then the kicker for me is that we're all it's all being narrated by child which just kicks home this idea for me that it's it's normal bodies fluids the things that we do with them are just part of living and they're they're things that we should be able to talk about and, and, you know, be about rather than kind of all in here. And I just, I just love everything about it. And the, the giant dong joke in volume two, every time my inner 12 year old, my inner pervert is just like, (laughs) be lighted. It's pretty funny. I mean, it is, it is pretty circular. What I like about it, what I think makes this better than even some comic books that you read. Okay. So it doesn't, it can out, it can, hmm, how do I want to phrase it? Sometimes you're watching a movie and the sex scene outstays its welcome. 
You're like, that's uncomfortably long. I'm not watching that movie. I just am not watching porn. I'm just trying to watch this movie. And there's a sex scene in this movie, fine. But that's going on too long. Like, like Spider-Dan did his bad, weird sex scenes. And it's often the, not that good. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the one that I put forth was the Angel Heart uh, blood fuck scene, which is outrageous. It was outrageous for the sake of being outrageous. It's terribly done. It goes on way too long. It, and it's just like, okay. And, and it's almost like the movies that I watched as a kid with my father, go 80s, 70s and 80s, were like really salacious. Like there's a scene in Stripes, which is really objectively terrible, that movie. I mean, and John Lithgow, or not John Lithgow, John Larroquette is playing like the lieutenant. And he's like perving on the women in the shower. So it's typical like soapy naked women in the shower. And he's like jerking off in his office. And like that scene, like even at eight or 10 or however old I was when I was too young to see that scene. And I get what you're saying, Ada, about it being like all bodies or, but that's like pervy. It's not shown in Mm -hmm. any risk, like even at sextillion, except for little Sophie, it's all consensual. Everybody's in, everybody knows what they're doing. And so, and you don't, and what I love is you never see anything happen to little Sophie Mm -hmm. the will just saves her the end done. We're not going to linger. I love the way that uh, the way they address child sex trafficking. Yeah. Yeah. Without it being gross. No, but it's smart. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're like, this is a thing. They're showing you the difference. They're saying, here's what adults are doing. Here's what we don't do. And so they are saying we know it's a child telling the story. But Hazel's Hazel and Izzy aren't having sex. Mm-hmm. Right, is he the the ghost babysitter? There's even the joke about why would I take love advice from a ghost without a vagina? <laughs> is, I mean, that's milk out the nose. Funny, what a great line! And I love how Izzy's like, she just she takes it all straight. She's the best. I love her so much. I love her so much. Yeah, she's such a great character. But she, um, so what I think is so smart is that this comic book, even for those scenes, they're never too long. It's one or two panels, so you can mm-hmm. spend the time with it. It never overstays its welcome, and that's where like some of those movies, like the pervy scenes and Porky's or wherever, they're like going on so long. It's like, let's do slow motion pillow fight from Xander's horrific dream. Like we don't need that. That's pervy for the sake of being pervy. And that this is just showing this is life. You as a reader can be as comfortable with it. Now, sometimes like the big dong or when you see uh, uh, robot four, you know, number four, jerking off later there's like just one whole panel of just his erect penis like that's just but again you can spend as much time with it or not if you like don't want to see alana breastfeed you don't have to so i think what they do and this is how we'll roll into this stuff about fiona is everything you guys have said i i think so for me i don't like i don't want a movie i i've yet to see a movie truly truly like just a regular old movie where the sex scene was super necessary um that as graphic as it was like Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman one, the Patty Jenkins Wonder Woman, the light goes out in the window, mm-hmm. right? Steve and Diana go upstairs after the big battlefield. So she's going to be like, hey, I just killed all these guys. The big battlefield scene was the best. You guys all saw me in my costume. Let's get, I'm feeling Randy. Let's go, Steve. And what do they do? Shut the light off. I'm like, because no kid in the movie knew what was going on. All the adults mm-hmm. are like, ooh, it's sexy time for Steve and Diana. Let's not linger on it. In different hands, that's a different scene. Mm-hmm. 
right? We're going to get some Diana side boob and it would just go on too long. And again, I'm not pretending you're not supposed to film sex. I'm not a prude. I just have yet to see this book handles it so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I just am really amazed at how, how you could say grotesque. They play it for humor. They play it straight. It's just so good. I don't know. Am I, am I the only one? Do you ever feel like, man, that sex scene went on? No, I, feel, I agree all the time. I, I, one of the things I love is when you watch older films, and I'm talking about not ones from like the 90s, everybody from like the 40s <laughs> and 50s. Yeah. Somebody turned around, some, I saw something the other day, and it was someone's like, oh, a, a young person was talking about something from 30 years ago. And I thought, oh, yeah, the, the 60s and 70s. And no, they meant the 90s. They and did. I was like, oh, fuck, that is me. Um, you know, in those films, lots of things, there were there were codes for the fact that they had had sex, you know, obviously the smoking cigarettes and stuff like that. And then when colour films started coming in, it was a woman would wear red after they'd had sex. So she'd be in sort of like black or green or blue or whatever. And then in the next scene, to signify they had made love, she would be in red or have a single item of clothing that was red or be in red clothing. And I, I still feel, and again, I'm not prude at all, um, as you know from listening to some of the other stuff I've talked about, <laughs> that I, I love that. I, I feel like it teach it, your, your audience is intelligent. We understand human beings have sex, that people have sex. You don't need to see it all the time for the titillation. Don't get me wrong, sometimes hot people... I do want to see them with the clothes off, but I don't necessarily need to see them pretend banging all the time. So, you know, it, and and I think that is, I do think you're right. It, that is kind of what works here. It isn't, it isn't pervy or gratuitous or anything like that. It is just a thing. I think you're both right. Yeah, because it can be done well. I mean, I'm just trying to think of a movie where... Love Actually. I love the way Love Actually deals with a sex scene because they've got two body with the, doubles. With the, doing those are actually oh, yes. really funny. But you know what? There's a scene later in a further volume with um, uh, the reporter and the photographer where they're having sex and then they're actually talking about the case. And it's like so perfunctory. They like you can tell they've been in a relationship for so long because they're like like one guy's bent over the the you know the the dresser. And they're, but they're like talking about the case that they're working on. And it's like, that's pretty funny. Like, so that does what love actually is that it, that's it. Exactly. Yeah, we've that's got one. <laughs> of course it's yeah. a British film. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, you're right. It isn't. And again, I'm not saying you can't show that. I'm not saying, right. I'm not saying let's, you know. Hey, you know in some, so there are some films where it's a female director and they focus on female pleasure in film and TV. And that I often find is great, you know, because it's so different from the norm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with showing people experiencing sexual pleasure, but it's always how it's shot and why it's there. I think yeah. if it if it's there for the story, if it's showing both both partners or multiple partners emotional physical reaction to it, great. But if it's just to see some boobs and some butt, I don't really think it's worth it. I'm so glad you made that distinction, Rhea, because it reminded me of how sexy I find Dickinson. The I don't know if you've oh, seen the Apple series. That I've not seen season three yet, not, but yes. I love that show. It's on our watch list. Is it really sexy? It's so sexy. I I find it very. I find Sue and um, Emily. Emily's uh, relationship very. There's so much tension that builds, and so like the moments of sexiness are such a release from that. The like the tension builds really well, and of course it's like there. It's it's not very 
it's not a great period piece because you know Wiz Khalifa. It's anachronistic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. um but I I think it's phenomenal. Bridgerton, yeah. on the other hand, I watched all of Bridgerton because I couldn't stop myself. But I wouldn't say that I would go back and do that again. That's it's fair. a lot of sex for this just for the because you can. Have you sex. seen season two though? So I think the sex not in season yet. two of Bridgerton's much better. There's not really any. Okay. And it's very I much prefer the characters in season two. <laughs> now we're just talking about Bridgerton. Um, I much prefer the characters and I prefer the progression. I prefer there's like hardly any sex in it at all. Nice. I'll watch it unless you know what I think. Yeah. Yes, yeah, do it. Okay. Well, we are going to, we've got, no, no, it's totally, no, this is good. This is just some, this just some recommendations. Is, yeah. Just, uh, I would say just to that, if you've not, if you've seen the Kira Knightley movie Colette, it describes almost oh, like, that, that is was done well. Like, favorite Kira Knightley film. That was done Possibly very well. one of my favorite films. Yeah, that, because as you were describing general. the scene, I was like, oh, that she's just talking, she just watched Colette the other day and that's I what- I love Colette so much. Yeah. Oh, she she actually has acknowledged, yeah. I think it was after that film, she'll only do those scenes yeah. with the female director now. She's like, I'm done. I'm rich enough and I'm me. I don't have to say yes to anything anymore. She's not saying no to it. She's just saying it has to be done this particular way. All right, but let's, because we've got 20 minutes before I have to go because it's spaghetti time, spaghetti night, and I have to go make that. So I'm leaving that in. Everybody gets to know that whatever day, if you now are listening to this, whatever day it is, you're like, I should go make spaghetti. I'm going to make some later. Um, what, What a transition. Okay, before the show started, I checked with Ada and Rhea if it was okay to say this as as the straight white guy in the room with the ladies. So I didn't want it to come off. I don't pervy. ever say ladies like that, again, please. <laughs> I don't think I'm that kind of lady. Oh, okay. So, all right. Here's the thing. Alana is the most beautiful comic book character in the history of the world. Like she is stunning. And it's not like, so when I was a kid, I've talked about this before, Marvel Comics actually put out like a swimsuit edition. It's totally true. And like everyone, it's true. The centerfold, because she's so tall, was She-Hulk. I'm not making any of this up. Okay. They were in swimsuits. So they did it all. So it was like, she's, I think I've killed Ada. She's died. Okay. I would put the Lady Hulk on my wall. You would put the Lady Shield. I know. I can't wait for the series, but I'm saying, I hear what you're saying, but you get it. It was clearly for teenage boys and for Ada to see, and you know, anybody who wants, but it was definitely done with the idea of taking She-Hulk's brilliance and comedy away. And she's, you know, the reason She-Hulk's awesome, what makes She-Hulk sexy is how funny she is too, right? And how smart she is and all those things. Alana is all those things. Alana's capable. She's autonomous. She's amazing. And Fiona Staples, I have no idea how she she designed all these characters. I don't know who, who the image was. I don't know if she just dreamt her. But there is, and again, not to get super pervy, I don't, I'm not saying I've got a picture of Alana on my wall, but there's never been in the history of comic books, and I've been reading comic books a long time, anybody who looks like her. In every scene that she's in, you cannot take your eyes off her. What is what I, I mean, wouldn't hate you for having a picture on your you wall. would not hate okay maybe okay thank you for that talk about that it's weird because she's clearly not real but there's something so real about fiona's art i mean and some of it's just weird looking some of it like the stock is terrifying but also realistic but also amazing and you can't not look away from the stock but like alana 
is done in such a way. What, how does she do it? I don't know if it, I don't know. I'm going to just quit talking. I'm just going to not even be able to finish a sentence because Fiona Staples is a queen. Please, Rhea, go. Oh, okay. I thought I was, I was going to be like, Eddie, you go because you started talking about it earlier. Um, uh, I, Fiona Staples is just unbelievable. She's just. So I recently have tried to get back into doing art and doing drawing and illustration because I've not done it for a really long time. And I love it. I've been doing a lot of design at work and it's, it's really difficult, but it, there's so many techniques that you can use. I, mean, I look up different artists and look at their t- techniques and do the thing where you try and sort of like mimic them to, to see different styles and all of those sort of things. And so after rereading Saga a couple of weeks ago, and then I read it again, I think like on Sunday or something, or Saturday, I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, now that I'm back into it, I'm going to look up at how Fiona Staples does her just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. And she's so, so she does all of her work digitally. And she, and one of the reasons is it because she can make corrections just as and when. So she's, so often you'll, you'll, you'll make thumbnails and, and do the art over them, upload them and do all of these sort of things and stick to things. But she's making these changes as and when she's going and I think that really brings it alive that's what makes everything feel so real she doesn't feel constrained by any rules in what she's doing I mean obviously all of the characters have to look the same throughout I think that's why the the emotions of all of the characters I mean Alana is beautiful but I also would would argue that Marco is incredibly handsome I'm like I've got a crush on both of these hello um yeah no uggos yeah, exactly. Even the stock, I have to say. The stock is though, hot. I'm sorry. It's crazy. It doesn't even make any sense. I know. Yeah. Stock is totally hot. But, the, you know, so there's something real to her art. You know, her art is not simple at all. I think you could look at it and, and be like, oh, so there's just some shapes there and that's where the shading is and, and whatever. But there's something so unique about how she is putting it's not pen to paper, but how, you know, she is the marks that she is making to make these images and to make these people. It's, it feels very, to me, it feels very back to when you look at sort of old school, not digital animation or um, well, like, like animation cells um, type, type of art, but obviously it's not, it's digital. So I'm getting myself all, all in circles, but you know, it's, all her emphasis is on the characters, it's on figures. The background is there, but it's not, I can't find the right word because she's just so, so talented. Like it, the background, it's about, it's about colours and blocking and, 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 and then <sighs> it's, <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? It's, I feel like, I feel like her style is all about trying to take, she wants the reader to take everything in as quickly as possible, but it, but she's not sloppy. You can tell this takes a long time. And so it's, it's so simple and complex at the same time. And I, I mean, I don't know, I probably should have read into it before I uh, started talking about it, but I, I feel like, and I think it speaks to what you said about how her, her name is now at the front of the book it's her it's her art that makes the story and has led the direction of this story without her art i don't think the story would be going in the way that it is as and when you read through i agree she's definitely wagging the dog 
Yeah. What do you what do you say? What say you? Miss Ada. Maria, you just blew my mind. <laughs> um, Good, because I was like, that sounds like a mess. <laughs> I had no idea. I I had no idea how what her process was, that it's all digital. I look at I look at the the book and I see just paintings that jump off the page at me that have so much dimension that I part of me is like, yeah, I'd lo- I would love to see a live action like movie of this. And the other part of me is like, no, I'm already seeing it and nothing could be this good. Brian like, said they, they, he and Fiona wanted to make something that could never be filmed. So I don't think they'll ever sell it. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I'm so glad. Like, even as I'm saying, I want to see it on. You screen. do though, but you do. I do too. I do, but but yeah. I don't think it could ever, I don't think it could ever be this good because to, to me, they just look like, and there's something like about the technique itself that, um, I'm sorry, the garbage truck just stopped in front of my window. <laughs> That's awesome. I hope that you can't hear that. Um, it's bulk pickup day. <laughs> And I maybe put some bulk trash out there. That's totally fair. <laughs> like you better take that. I've left it out there for you. I don't want to see that mattress tomorrow. Yeah. Um, we did spring cleaning. Where am I going with this? Okay. Um, <laughs> the other thing, the thing about the art for me that stands out more as much as the fact that everybody is beautiful, even kind of the scary people. I'm like, wow, you're gorgeous. Gwendolyn. Holy Oof. God. Um <sighs> everyone is just beautiful but then the way kind of things are laid together like at the end of every chapter we kind of we get this big full page spread um that I would hang on my wall and then then you open to the next chapter and you get this sort of corner thing that's maybe related to what happens but it's sort of far enough off there that it that it adds I don't even know where in her brain it comes from like there's the one that comes to mind is like Prince Robot kind of looking at this magical spinning globe compass thing. But the chapter is not really about Prince Robot. And then you get this other, the the chapter itself will start with kind of another big panel of just beauty. Um, yeah, she wags the dog. She is, she does. She is amazing. And I think, again, I'm a words person, I always have been, but this is a book that I would say to anybody, when you read this book, you do however, whatever order you in. But when you're done, just go back and look. If you just want to do like a scan, because you've got the story, but just take your time. Now that you know, read all, read all six issues, read all whatever, then go back to the beginning and just, because you don't need to read the story. Now you can just look and, and take your time. And again, if you're uncomfortable with some of the nudity or the second, you can, you can, again, she doesn't make that last too long. It's a panel or two, but just look at the technique and the skill that she's doing and the dye, the way that Alana's hair is colored, Mm -hmm. the way the curve of Marco's horn, the way that it frames his face. You talked about him being a handsome devil. He is. And it's like, cause later, especially later when you meet Pietro, uh, Pietro, whom I love, (laughs) but like her horns don't do that. Her horn, one horn goes up and one horn comes down. And even um, Marco's parents' horns aren't perfectly symmetrical. And so she's created these really like, there's so much intentionality of of every brushstroke. And, and it's, you feel like you could just touch her hair. And then later when she's, when she's in the telenovelas and in a future thing like that, get up all of those outfits, the creature she's created, um, Frendo, 
I love Frendo, the giant walrus, and she is gorgeous in her own way too. And you know, the way that the way that they all love Frendo and want to hug her. And then you discover later they're actually drinking her milk and you're like, what now? And it's like, it's just, everything is beautiful. And so Fianna Staples is the star of this book as much. I mean, I love Brian Vaughn again. I will cry like a baby every time I read uh, Paper Girls. This book, and even this book, you get teared up as Rhea did just talking about it, but looking at it, it's beautiful. So if you're not, if you're unsure if you should be reading, if you've listened to this far and you're unsure, should I read Saga? Because we've really given nothing away. Um, just do yourself a favor and and get just to look at what she does. And um, it's it's something. And I feel yeah, like... I'm just looking through it now whilst you're talking. I was listening, Tony. I know. Honest. I saw what you were doing. But, uh, cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you were talking about the end pages and I thought this is, it's a perfect example of each, uh, of each chapter. And, and it's, and you see it through like on some of like the big single panel pages, the backgrounds there, but the, the characters are always of importance. You know, the background's always slightly blurred. There's something filmatic about it. It's, you know, about, Jack would be able to explain this better than me, about having the characters at the forefront, having their, you know, the lines of the characters are sharp. They're all there to make you focus on them. It doesn't mean that the background isn't detailed, but the backgrounds are shapes and colours and moods and, and telling you what the atmosphere is. But she forces you to focus on the characters, on their faces, on their movements, of what their bodies are doing, of, of what's happening to them. And I just think it's just so special. I think it's just so unique and it can... it. It must be so easy to cram things in. You know, uh, Pretty Deadly, I loved Pretty Deadly, but I found that so overwhelming. I, I think it's an incredibly beautiful book. I think it's a work of art. But there's stuff there always. It's always there. Something's happening. And this is the opposite of, it, of that. This is about looking at who is on the page and focusing on them. Yeah, I agree. And she colors this herself too. So that helps with the blur. She can she can blur out her own backgrounds. And so that is also what takes it so long. I mean, this is this is we're watching a master. So who knows? They could have been, they could be done with the 108, but it's just taken them this long because they needed a break because she does all this herself. And phonographics has to write those write the tech. I mean, everything that Hazel says is hand-drawn. I mean, you know, like the other stuff can be typed. It's just it's it's exceptional. And I know Rhea already said, and so as we're wrapping it up, and Rhea already said, who should read this? Everybody is always the easy answer, but it's true in this case. Ada, is there anybody who's not everybody? Like, if there's a person, who is there a person you can think of? You're like, I want to give this book to that person. Who would you go hand this to, to change their life? My dad and my mother-in-law, neither of them read books. This would do it, wouldn't it? I think this would do it. And yeah, this, I didn't, I didn't think about before you started talking about it, Rhea, it did not occur to me that the backgrounds were simple because I feel like I can look at the pictures over and over, even knowing the story and see something new every time. But as I'm, and as I'm looking at it now, I'm seeing like, it's the expressiveness in the faces. It's, and it's just incredible. Um, 
I think I would, I'd like to teach this book also. I think, I think I would like to get it in the hands of like every person who's like, I don't, I'm taking this class because I have to, I don't really like to read. Um, Cause this is a book that, that could change your mind. It could change your life. And, um, and also lying cat. I just need to, oh. I need to bring up lying cat before we're done here because holy Love her. She's awesome. That's all. <laughs> and then as you find out, but the best thing is, is later, and I'm not going to say why you find out that the will ends up with Lion Cat and that, again, he does it for love. What a pain in the ass Lion Cat is, but we all love Lion Cat. But he gets her, so that's just a tease. There's so much love, the familial love, the way that he and um, his sister, um, and I'm not going to spoil who that is. I don't want to tell anybody yet, but there's a, the will has a sister that he loves. And like you mentioned, Gwendolyn, and the way that her whole demeanor changes. And it is just, it's, it's, if you don't read Saga, then I feel sad for you. You should go read Saga right now. Everybody out there, go read Saga. It's free on Hoopla Digital. You can get it all and you can no, get all cut up. Not There's no excuse. All you need is a library card. And those are also free if, in case people didn't know how libraries work. So, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, as we start our end plugs, because the opening song, by the way, is going to be the opening. When we, when we came in, I'm playing the intro to 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> That's what we're hearing on the way in. Um, I've got a song on the way out. It's not, it doesn't, it's not as epic. It's small because you, one of you said right from the beginning, it's such a small story. And while this is this epic adventure, at the end of the day, it's just a story about family. And there's this singer-songwriter who's Jack Johnson's piano player. His name is Zach Gill. And he did a solo album called Stuff. And he's on that. He's got a song called Family. And I love it. And that's going to be the outro song. And you guys will all be like, I love that, Zach Gill. I've seen him several times live. He's quite the showman. Um, I didn't know he did things by himself live. Yes, he's, he's, got two, he's got two albums and he's in a different band, ALO, but he, um, American Animal Liberation Orchestra, they're called. But uh, he's amazing. And so there's a song called Family. So we'll hear that on the way out. So what I want to say, though, is if you are out there saying, I don't know how to use Hoopla, Send me a message at my website, arfarina.com. You can send me a message. I can hook you up with a Hoopla account. I know how to get you one no matter where you live. I can get you one and get you a, libra- a digital library card and a Hoopla account so you can read this. So there's literally no excuse. So Rhea, if people wanted to come at you and say, hey, um, I love Saga. Thanks for making me read Saga. Where would they, how could they do that? And then what else do you got going on? Yeah, right. Rhea, let's talk about childbirth some more. Woo! Uh, <laughs> You're incredible. You're raising the next generation and the hope for the rest of us. I can only hope she's got quite a lot on her shoulders at the moment because her entire existence is about smashing the patriarchy. So good luck to her. Um, I'm equipping her as best as I can, you know, and then obviously like kicking her out at 18 and being like, sort it out. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> That's kid. not happening. I'm a great good luck, parent, friendo. by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you can find me at Ria Carrigan on the social media type places um, or at Femme on Film, which of course is why I'm talking about my series, which is on comics emotion about female made led starring films for women, not always for women, but a lot of it is for women because men think women are stupid and you can fuck off. Um, I don't know where this is going. Uh, I'm quite tired. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a pop gorilla with Tony and Jack. We have an excellent season coming up, uh, uh, Friday the 13th. Um, I, just, I nearly said Mike Myers, and I was like, that was We did that year. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I am. What year yeah. am I? What's happening? Um, so see me there. And yeah, of course, Indie Comic Spotlight. I think that's, that's it, isn't it? Is that what I do? That's a lot. You're busy. Yeah, you sound busy. Yeah. I'm quite and, tired, everyone. Yeah, that's fair. Totally fair. So Ada, last word to you, friend. If people wanted to say to you, hey, friend, thanks for mm-hmm. thanks for making Rhea and Tony talk about Saga, where would they say Thank that? You. If, how would, you, um, how would they get in mind. touch with you? Reach out to me. Um, I'm not one of those people who's anti-direct messages. Um, although I guess I, I understand if that's your thing, that's cool too. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram uh, at AA underscore McCartney, as in Paul McCartney, the Beatle. Um, and it's all lowercase. Um, There's a lot of information. That's me. That's why I'm at. Um, yeah. What am I doing? I'm trying to protect my energy and remember that no is a complete sentence. That's Love that. piece of information for me that I am saying over and over and over and hoping to integrate. Um, writing poems and stuff. I post about it on social media sometimes. Yeah. You've got a website. I've got a website, which, oh, I will be. This is exciting or will be exciting once I do it. Um, I'm taking pictures of some of the collages and like more tactile homey things that I make and I'll be putting it in an online store on my website, which is aamccartney.com. Uh, and that'll be happening in May and June. Nice. That's very cool. That is very cool. Is that what you're going to talk to Gail about? She, no. does, coll- she does collage. That's going to go in my email. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it was strictly it was strictly work, but no, it's about. You should to talk be more. to her about her art. She has her own little studio in her backyard. It's amazing. So you guys will talk about that. Life well, goals. thank you, ladies. I appreciate this. Is that ladies? Was it better that way? As opposed sure. to the weird way I creep. Oh way yeah, I did it so before. I, I forgot. Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot. Yeah, okay. You're like what what are we, what for are my memory, about? and now yeah. it's back. I don't Sorry. want that. To okay. Be back, All right. Thanks, everybody. This was a delight. Zach Gill will will whisk you away into the next universe. And sounds like if Rhea has anything to do with this, sometime down the line, we'll talk more. We'll come on. We'll talk more saga. But um, those two will be in touch, and hopefully Ada will be on film on film. That's the hope. That was the whole point of all this. So thank you, everybody, and we will see you. In a week. Bye now. Smash the patriarchy.
generation to generation it gets passed on and then one day those who were passing well they passed on pulling back the covers her heart would start to shut away she realized just how deep it all went trying to forgive what was said but was Sometimes say things we don't mean, but that don't mean that we're not still family. Pull out of the shadows and find that eventually it's our bad, it's our good, baby. Can't you see that we are what we are and what we are is still family? I was there from the moment that you were born And I've loved you since I heard your first cries And I know we won't always be getting along But I promise you that I will always you know we all sometimes say things we don't mean But that don't mean that we're not still family You know we all sometimes